look into the future. Well, I'm going to need a drink for that. It's a hell of a drink. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. I got a backup snorkel for my snorkel. Turbocharged scooter. Turbocharged. I don't know if I want that crap in it. As you become more comfortable, just throw safety out the window. <laughs> okay, so welcome back to another episode of the Great Dive Podcast. Yeah, welcome back, everybody. We're going to dive into last year's Dan Annual Report. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, getting uh, getting this thing ready. And in particular, uh, in the introduction, uh, they, they go through and, and list off the 10 most wanted improvements. The 15. <laughs> These 10 most wanted improvements. We're going to have to have a talk. <laughs> I told you, that joke does not get old. The 10 most wanted improvements in scuba. And th- these are like right up our alley. So this would be great. I think Tur- it's uh, turbocharged really. Turbocharged scooters. What's that? Turbocharged scooters. Turbocharged. Wait, what Damn was things uh, got turbo? No, it, the jetpack is. Oh, the jetpack! Remember the jetpack from the Christmas episode gift guide? The jetpack. Remember that green um, thing that you strapped on your tanks? What, what was the other ridiculous one? You mean there was a ridiculous <laughs> item in scuba? Hmm. You mean there was a gimmicky ridiculous item that they were trying to take your money with? They were using these, as a means to, to get into These your are wallet. not the ten most wanted gear improvements for somebody to buy. These are right. actually legitimate. Legitimate improvements that they want to see every diver make. And I think they're right up our alley. Be more positive. Buy the coffee for the guy behind you at the drive-thru. Just buy it. Pay it forward, right? What about just... Just be a better person. How about this? Why don't you just give the barista an extra dollar tip than what you would have? Instead of buying this joker behind you money, give give a bigger tip to the barista, and maybe everybody will give but continually give an extra tip. It. But and you're still you're he's, still he's giving doing all the work. But you're giving something for something. The thing of the pay it forward. This is, jackass behind me, he's do, just huffing and pissed you know because what? I'm deciding do you I want a do I want a grande day. or a venti. You changed his day. Now I I had a person buy me coffee this year. Stranger at the drive-throughs. I got up there and they're like, "Hey, this coffee's paid for by that person that just took off." My jaw dropped. And Who was, is this masked man? I, now it was just a coffee, but I'm going to tell you, it made like my whole week. And to this day, I, you know, I think this is just a restoring of faith in humanity. It's not all heads and holes. Is that right? Is that a good thing to say? No, no. no. <laughs> Pick two different adjectives, please. Jackasses and faces. No, uh, hats and motherfuckers. Okay, it's, uh, out of those three, I can, pull, I can probably edit two out. 
no, it it just uh, was really nice. So I thought, yeah, pay it forward. So is this one of them? Become a better person? Well, these all lead to becoming a better diver. Clean your fins more often. Clean fins. Clean fins life. is a clean soul. That's what I always say. You know, here's my thing. All this masty fog that's going into our water, that ain't good for our ecology. It's not good for the fish. Now, the spit is fine. Spit's fine. Fish <laughs> but people using this chemical pay $3.99 for your defog. Now, is this one of them? This is not one of them. <laughs> Son of a... I think you're missing the whole point, but... I remember I worked... The... One of my first instructor jobs was at the shop, and that was one of their biggest promotions. Beside the snorkel, uh, you had defog. Everybody has to buy defog. So they made me use defog, which when I learned to dive, my, my first instructor said, if you use that defog... I never want to speak to you again. <laughs> and the same thing in commercial school. All of those instructors are like, none of you clowns are going to use this defog, are you? And everybody went, no, sir. And I, I was already not using it because I had a really good first instructor. But some of these clowns were using it, and they lied. But are you, are you saying that the bottle, of, the bottle of defog <laughs> is a red flag of sorts? Oh, in my book, hell yeah. When I see that defog pull out, what the f- then they, here's the thing. Inevitably, they'll forget it at home and they'll go, "Hey, has anybody got any defog?" And I show, "Yeah, I got, I got some here." <laughs> there, <laughs> you got defog too. You just don't realize it. Here, and I'll tell you what. I'll only charge you a buck ninety nine versus the three ninety nine, and I'll spit all week. <laughs> lessons are sometimes the toughest lessons to learn are uh, the most fun for me to teach. Well, you, you ever see the guy that's like on the eternal quest? For like the perfect defog, he's yeah. he's got like a a cocktail, like a, like a yeah, like a bartender's yeah. uh, briefcase. He opens up and yeah. I need uh, one dab of sea drops, a squidge of sea gold, <laughs> yeah. two drops of five hundred psi, yeah. some frog spit, some old monkey spit. I mix these all together. It's the leave perfect it, defog. Leave it in the sun for fifteen minutes. <laughs> And then he jumps in the water and stirs up the bottom so you can't see anything anyway. You're like, and, his, All and, right. his, and then his mask is still foggy on the dive. The <laughs> it doesn't part. matter. It doesn't matter if he can see or not. Like, I love the guys that, or the guys that go like the whole, they've just given up on defogging the mask. And oh, they just they're fog, content. They're I'm fogged. Just, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm just How foggy. do you do that? I don't know. Listen, like I say, day one, rub it around. Me too. I've been, it out. I was. I don't I have would, a fog issue. In t- I was going to say 20. I'm regressing. In 30 plus years of diving, no fogging. No fogging fog. I don't fog. I don't believe in it. I'm a spitter. I've been like... <laughs> <laughs> like I was like in 89 when I was doing my class. It was, is that you defog your mask? You spit in it and yeah. away you go. And then the instructors back then even joked a little bit because there was basically one defog on the market mm-hmm. at the time and uh they would joke about it like yeah you can get th- this stuff but it's old jay paul getty sitting there and he's like i cornered the market on defog we're fucking these f-ers for the rest of their goddamn lives once they get hooked on defog they'll never get off and they won't know what to do hey anybody got defog they'll they'll be carrying like a case of defog i'm just saying you know who jay paul getty is don't you he used to be like the big multi multi-billionaire i know i, I, I think I, he made it in the split fence. i knew he mike made his billions in split i knew fence. mike hunt i knew mike hunt <laughs> yeah i bet you did <laughs> oh mike <laughs> that joke never gets old either <laughs> <laughs> These five, one name that you can use to make everyone laugh.
All right, so defog, spit in your mask. You'll be fine. Lesson for the day. Lesson for the day. You're already a better diver for listening to the Great Dive Podcast. So in the, um, the 2016 Dan Annual Report, at the end of the introduction, they list off the 10 most wanted improvements in scuba. And keep in mind, like this, uh, this report comes out every year where they, they look at, actually the Dan report doesn't actually come out every year. They're usually, you know, a couple biannual. of years behind. Yeah. Is it biannual? Or? It's not that it's biannual. It's just that they take a lot of time to really yeah. put together the data and they got all this uh, analysis that goes on. The BSAC annual report is really annual. It comes out every year. It's, it's detailed on the incidents, but it's. It doesn't go into all the extra analysis. That, well, you need that the all Dan stuff. Does. I think one of the most interesting details in their analysis was they broke it down to hair color and fin type. Uh, and you know, blondes with split fins—a deadly combination. It's like recipe of death. It's like <laughs> arsenic and old. Lay. It's horrible. So, if you're blonde, get rid of your split fins. This is, well, I mean, if you're going to buy fins. split fins, you better be a redhead. I mean, that's, what I, that's what I learned. Well, the thing is, I think they also said 17.8% of the blondes were peroxide blondes. They 0. were 0.7. 0. 7. 0. 0.7. Right. They were not true blondes. We've got to keep the facts straight on this show. Well, I, we're only trying to help. That's <laughs> what we do. No, the, um, all joking aside, this, the, so all this information um, is actually from data collected in 2014. So they mentioned that they're. Preliminary investigations suggest in the U.S. we may end up finding a fatality rate of around two deaths per million recreational dives and that around one out of every 10,000 emergency room presentations relate to scuba diving. If such a low prevalence reflects what is happening in ERs, then it should be no surprise that Dan Medical Services are so often called by receiving physicians around the U.S., even without reliable denominators, more can be done to improve safety while diving. And herein lies the main value of the Dan Incident Reporting System. So they look at more than 400 diving incident reports have been received at the time of the writing. These reports are classified, analyzed, and a selection are reproduced. More than that, though, they are currently being used to validate a diving checklist. They support Dan educational efforts, such as presentations at dive shows, and they clearly identify a number of modifiable risks that Dan aims to address in the same vein as the National Transportation Safety Board does. Or these most wanted improvements are, number one being correct weighting. Is this like an order of importance in yeah, any these way? Yeah, these are just the top ten. Not an order of importance. No, they, they say that um, if every diver took just a few moments to think about each of these improvements and took even one step towards one improvement in diving safety, then the reduction in risk across our whole community would be significant. So instead of one in 100,000, it'd be one in 100 billion. There we go. Oh, yeah. Ten most wanted improvements in scuba. Correct weighting. Greater buoyancy control. More attention to gas planning. Better ascent rate control. Increased use of checklists, fewer equalizing injuries, improved cardiovascular health in divers, diving more often or more pre-trip refresher training, greater attention to diving within limits, and fewer equipment issues slash improved maintenance. 
dude, it, it's like they hit our dive podcast hit list. So that concludes <laughs> the Great Dive Podcast. We're gonna <laughs> we're, we're gonna cancel the show now. It's uh, pretty much uh, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan, for validating our f***ing whole premise of the show and our, our basis of teaching. They just said basically every single thing from almost the most important, which is, I don't know if any of those are most important. Waiting contributes to better buoyancy control, can, contributes to better ascents and descents. I mean, all of those are so intertwined with each other, you know, that it's it's hard to say, oh, the, these things were like discovered each on their own. It's uh, the same thing we've been saying for freaking two decades, dude. Well, yeah, well, in particular, our show, you know, I mean, if you go back and, and listen to the last year of what we've been doing, you know, at first glance, you think we're a bunch of goofballs that go diving and like to crack uh, silly jokes. But at the heart of really what we're doing and why we started this was to, to really to educate the diving community that just don't know better. They're just taught to keep buying better and better equipment rather than really getting to the root of their issues, which is internal in their own knowledge and understanding and ability. And this, I think, with the credibility of what Dan is saying, validates a lot of what we've done on this show. And uh, what we if do we in, get more people, life. yeah, if we get more people <laughs> listening to this that uh, are paying attention to it, yeah, the community as a whole is going to grow and improve and be better. And I would, although although it would give give us a lot less jokes to crack, there'd be I would, less wars. I would, I would much rather there'd be less wars. Well, there it'd give us a lot less jokes to crack, but it would be I would much. <laughs> That's not a joke. No, War no, no. is no joke, my friend. No, listen, although it would give us a lot fewer uh, jokes to crack, I would much rather walk out onto a dive boat and know that everybody was going to be competent, prepared divers. What color is the sky in the world you live in? So in playing around with this in preparation for today, I found a, a really nice article by a website called Deeper Blue. I believe they're out of the UK. A guy named uh, Charles Davis. Wrote this article. The third. I am Charles Davis the third. This is not the same Charles Davis who wrote that article. That is Charles Davis the fifth. He is my younger brother. After my other younger brother, <laughs> there is Charles Davis the ninth. Does, does everybody in the UK have a lineage to, to their <laughs> name? Right. Speaking of lineage, not to go astray, as I'm not normally going to do that. So my wife, my wife's parents, we bought them a DNA kit to see what their lineage is because they're always on her dad's side. Her dad claims he's 100% uh, Norwegian, Nordic. And Oberson is the last name, you know, it's, it's Nordic. Yeah. Name. He likes and, to build he bonfires. Is, he's he is, a, he is Nordic. Be, he's, I mean, be Nordic. He, he's kind of a Nordic looking dude. Um, and then my, does he get drunk? With wife's, one of those, does he get drunk with one of those big hats with the horns on of top? Of course he does. We all do the whole, <laughs> it's a family thing. Uh, and then my wife's mother is from Scotland, so she's. But she says I'm 100 percent Scottish. So they're saying so they're the this kids, purebreds. These so the purebreds. kids are Scottish. Scottish, right? no, half Scottish. No, uh, and Norwegian, I think. Scottish. 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 So the kids are Scottish. Her, yeah. So my wife is a Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, we got the results last week, so we had this big, you know. I shouldn't say big. It was a family party kind of thing. And they read the results. So he's actually 51% Nordic and like 48% Scottish. And she is Welsh, Scottish, and Celtic with a little tiny bit of Nordic. So they're kind of both Celtic. 
Celtic whatever. So she, I was going to say, or, or does she play Celtic. basketball? Because if she plays basketball, she, she could does. Be, she could be Celtic. She's from Boston. I, I take She's it back from then. Madison Square Garden, bitch. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyway, so they're, they're pretty much almost almost the same kind of, you know, they were pretty close to what they said. Then they, they each had like this little 1% that has like, a, it's split off into a million other little things. So I had to order mine. I went and ordered one the other day. Because now we know my wife's heritage. Oh, we'll have it fantastic. On there. I think you should do it. I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna, you th- you believe you're Irish, and there's probably something else. I, I don't. I never said I was Irish. You said Mott. Isn't Mott Irish? No. I thought there's a little shield with a Mott name, family name on it. Crest. No, 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 no. no. Mott is. You drink from, like a motherfucker. Ma- <laughs> just, just because. Sorry. Just because I'm, That's not exuberant, That's not just cause I'm an exuberant <laughs> celebrator of St. Patrick's Day does not mean I'm necessarily I thought, Irish. I thought I was living in a world of it Irish means, people. It means, it means I'm American. <laughs> when you, yeah, you the know, Irish people yeah. won't claim the Mott family name. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I got, uh, um, you know, I was told. Here we go. I was told that my fifth greats were uh, uh, on the Mayflower. See? Well, you could find that. Great, out. great, great, great. Great, yeah. Wouldn't doubt. Mott's grandparents. Pretty, the, the Mott name is is. Uh, uh but but that, I believe that was on my uh, grand my paternal grandmother's side, the Madeiras. Okay. The Madeira side. They were uh, Pennsylvania Dutch. Okay. So they came look, over. They were so Dutch. there's there's a German in there. There's a Scottish in there. Okay. There's some uh, native uh, Native American in there somewhere. Okay, so in uh, in this deeper blue article. <laughs> Basically uh, entitled almost the same thing as what we're talking about is uh, just Dan's 10 most wanted improvements in scuba diving. He makes mention that overall scuba diving is safe, but if you're not a certified diver, you might uh, you might look at all this and uh, be put off a little bit. But he makes mention that don't let it uh, scare you off that only two out of every million dives results in a death in the United States. And there is on average only one emergency room visit every 100,000 dives. So uh, uh, most most divers get certified there they learn about all the risks that are associated with diving and they're you're aware of this before you're allowed to to get that certification card but often and uh, he makes mention in this article that you know divers get get that certification card and they they tend to forget all of that stuff because they're just like so focused on getting in the water and seeing uh, seeing something cool and uh, they, they lose sight of how dangerous things can be. And unfortunately, this sometimes leads to diving fatalities. What's the fatality rate? The more No, you know, rate? he mentions that um, you know, the report points out that only 2 out of every million dives results in a death in the US. Okay, so we don't have the worldwide stats. Right. And and uh, you know, the Dan report made uh, mention if I go back to that that um you know, in Brazil, for example, the annual number of fatalities increased from half a percent per year in the 90s to one per year during 2000 to 2009 to three per year, 2010 to 2014. Once again, though, it should be remembered that without a reliable denominator, we do not know if the absolute number of deaths is increasing in line with increased participation or if improvements to surveillance are merely identifying a greater proportion of fatalities or some combination of both. Yeah. So they're making mention that mm-hmm. the, the reporting factors in the United States from what they've put together are more accurate. That's why they center yeah. it there. 
And then yeah, you yeah, can yeah. extrapolate to the world as necessary. So let's hit these uh, 10 improvements. The first one that is mentioned in the Deeper Blue article, along with the Dan report, is correct weighting. Diving with the correct weights is critical for safe diving. We hear that over and over again, yet it still frequently becomes one of the triggers for a diving mishap. If you read the annual report, you will find case studies of divers being grossly overweighted. One of the fatal cases concerning a diver using a steel tank found on the bottom after being observed sinking from a safety stop. The diver was found with a fully inflated BCD and he had removed his weight belt. However, this was not enough to become positively buoyant at the depth he was found. Investigation showed that the diver had 50 pounds of weights, but only 17 pounds of that was on his weight belt. Another drowning case had a diver 20 pounds overweighted. You will see cases where divers ran into trouble being underweighted. Mostly, these led to DCS, where the diver was unable to maintain a safety stop and to control their rate of ascent. So most divers, when they, when they finish up that uh, open water class, I would say an overwhelming majority of them, by the mere fact that they pass their open water class, are probably overweighted. Well, yeah, because it's common practice that, you know, the instructor is just going to chuck on a set amount of weight. It takes a long time. I shouldn't say a long time, but it takes time. It takes more time to actually properly weight everybody than to, you know, stick up your thumb like you're going to make a painting and go 20 pounds, 20 pounds, 20 pounds, 20, or you're a little overweight, 26 pounds, 24 pounds, whatever. It, things like that. I I know that's how it's done in the mass produced mass production world of scuba instruction. Sure, because uh, I got twenty guys that I get certified today. Uh, it, it, if you're if you're today. taking you know ten minutes extra on all I'm of these three dives of on three to, of them to get took a half hour. Yeah, to get yeah. to get down, dude. Me and uh, me and the rest of the dive masters are never going to hit happy hour. You know, at the end of the day, you got here. Here's an extra eight pounds for you. Here's an extra eight pounds for. Here's another twelve pounds for you. Right. Boom. They sink. They get to the bottom. They go through the skills. Clear your mask. Shove this regulator in your mouth. Come up. All right. Boom. Here's your card. See you later. Congratulations. It's certified. It's the easiest way to go to make sure to ensure that they get underwater. And it's the same thing running a charter. You know, you got people coming down to your tropical locale your island and you're the dive master and you've got to get these people in the water and they probably haven't dived or if they did they did a little pool refresher up north and they haven't dived in a year since their last trip down to whatever umel and uh what are they going to do with them they're going to do the same kind of thing because they don't want to hold well, up the, well yeah they've got, they yeah, they got even a tougher they know that the, the, the diver has no clue how much weight they need right so and you now they're in the ocean versus the fresh water that they were training in i mean you, you see it know. like when you're you see it all the time and, and it goes both ways on this too i mean it's they just have no clue because the the, mm-hmm. the guy that's working the, the 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 dive shack handing out the tanks and weights how much weight do you need it's always one or the other it's like I need four pounds. And the guy's like, oh, no, his oh, eyes. Oh, 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 four pounds. 20, I'll yeah. give you 24. Or the guy don't, goes, I need, uh, I, need 50, I need 50 pounds. And the guy's like, oh, no, you don't need 50 pounds. Here's 24. Everybody gets 24, yeah. it seems. Yeah, they just throw a chunk of change on him and, and let him go. You're, it, it's, 
easy to see it happening. And, you know, I see both sides of the argument. The, the problem is the safety factor when you just chuck a set amount of weight on anybody, right? There's a big, you compromise the safety. And obviously, as we've learned through the Dan report, the improper weighting is a huge factor in Right, and, and nobody and nobody wants to take the time, right? Because they're like, man, I've been working my ass off, you know, yeah. eighty hours a week for the last ten months. Finally, got this week vacation. I don't want to take two days to, you know, do my do conservative now. dives to till I can figure out the weighting that I need on an empty cylinder. You know, transitioning from depth up to the shallows and, and yeah. know that I'm properly weighted. I just want to get down. Oh, oh, the sweet deep wreck dive is is this morning. Oh, I'm not gonna miss that one. Just <laughs> exactly. I'm going. I'm gonna do all the hundred foot dive. I'm gonna do the wreck dive in the current and and go. You know, James, you should also caveat this that this is not everybody. You know, I don't like to paint with such a broad stroke here that we believe we're covering everything. There are those divers out there that will go down to Cozumel, jump in a shore dive, and blow the dust off, so to speak, and then. They'll hit their charter boat. So they know their weight. They're back in the swing of things. They're re-familiar with their equipment again. Even though they done, they've done they done the uh, freshwater refresher back at the dive shop before they came down, it's still a little different when you jump in the ocean. The saltwater weighting is different. The whole feel is different. It's not the pool, right? And it's not the oh, 45 yeah. and, minutes in the pool. And you got the surge, and you got the, right. the waves, mm-hmm. and you've got you know action happening. You know, so there, there's and depth. Yeah, there's that real factor that even as prepared as you are in the pool before you leave, there's a there's going to be an increase in anxiety. Yes, you know those first couple of dives, and and that waiting is probably going to change from day one to day five right. of the of the experience. So being in tune enough that you can make those changes along the way, mm-hmm. important as well. And and I think that that you are correct in that there's a lot of people that are well-behaved divers that, that do yeah. this. And, I, and I, I think if we talk to any of them right now, every one of them is going to tell you of at least one person on that last dive trip that is quite the opposite of that. Or they learn themselves the hard way. Right. You know, So now they go in and, and check their weighting. And also remember, hey, you were here a year yeah, ago, but- <laughs> and you took it took you 8 pounds to get down or 12 pounds to get down. It's a new day. It's a year later. And though you may not want to admit it, the wetsuits have become smaller. Yeah. And let's not mention, you know, the, the, the people that did learn the hard way, like you mentioned, right? Yeah. And they had that realization maybe that they were one of the 99,999. And luckily, they weren't that 100,000th diver that did right. end up going to the ER. Number two, greater buoyancy control. Closely related to proper weighting is the issue of buoyancy control. Improper control has led to divers having difficulties exiting a wreck or other overhead environment. Poor control does make your safety stops more difficult and might even cause a diver to inadvertently return to the surface or to dive deeper than intended. Divers who use the BCD extensively to maintain their position in the water are more likely to face an out-of-air issue. While not as much of a safety issue, good buoyancy control helps protect the environment. It goes to the root of most diving issues is a loss of buoyancy control or an inability to control your buoyancy. If, you, if you're not properly weighted, you're not going to have good buoyancy control. No. They, they, they go hand in hand. If you're not properly weighted and you don't have that weight balanced and distributed well, 
you're not going to have buoyancy. You're not going to have proper trim, and you're not going to have buoyancy control. So if you're out of trim a little bit and you're overweighted, you've got too much gas in the BCD, and as you start wiggling your feet and kicking, right, physics is going to send you up if your feet are below you and your head is above you, and as you move up a couple of feet, that gas is going to expand and you're going to become more buoyant, and you're going to dump you're, gas so out of your BCD, gas. and then you're going to sink, and then you're, you're going to go through this constant light. yo-yoing, yeah, exactly. right, which, which creates a, you know, a ton of work, and that's what he means when he says, you know, not, not even to mention you know, what it's going to do with uh, helping protect the environment. But yeah, you're bouncing up and down all over the place. Your trim's off, so your your feet are pointing down. You're kicking up. The the vicious cycle, and we try to teach this in the classes, right? We try to teach this in our classes of what proper trim looks like, how to achieve it, and why it's so critical. And uh, one of the key components is the ad initial that initial proper weighting. You have to have that foundation, right? You can't you can't. I shouldn't say can't. It's very, very difficult to get proper buoyancy and trim and a good propulsion technique when you're overweighted. Well, that's because you're now using the BCD to control your buoyancy, when in reality, you should be breathing Breathing. to control your buoyancy. And that that, that BCD is really there to just uh, hold. It's it's called a compensator. Compensator, yeah. It's compensating for the compression of your suit. It's holding the weight of the gas that's in the tanks. That's but, the biggie. But, right you, there, but if, if you, you know, ideally, it's One your breathing that's really controlling your buoyancy. Exactly. And it's hard to show it if you're using that BCD and you're overweighted. It's hard to show because now the breathing is less impactful than you actually kicking and changing your depth minutely. So when you have more gas in your BCD because you're overweighted and you change your, your depth a foot... Now you have more gas to expand. Now it carries you up a lot quicker. Correct. Right? So the more, it's called dynamic instability in, in the diving education world. Dynamic instability. Too much gas, too big of a gas bubble causes so many problems. And that comes from overweighting. Right. And as he mentions in the article, poor control does make safety stops more difficult. Right? And now if you're, if you're the diver that... that needs the line to hold on to in order to do the safety stop. I mean, I mean, take note. I mean, this is, this is you, right? And you see a lot of those divers that on one of those dives that they're going to do a free ascent. Oh my God, are you, I don't have the anchor line or the mooring line to hold on to on the way up. Uh, and they, they almost go into a little, Polaris. they go into a little, Polaris pa- well, they go into a little yeah. panic attack. Like, well, yeah. how are we going to do the ascent? You know, I need, I need that crutch to hold on to. That's a major issue, red flag of a lack of buoyancy control that you should be aware of. And if you're struggling in 20 feet of water to stop in 10 or 15 feet to, mm-hmm. to do a safety stop, you probably don't need to go to 40. And you certainly don't need to go to 80 or 100 or more. Yeah. Right? If, you're, if you're having a hard time coming up from 20, 30 feet in a controlled fashion without having to put a death grip on right. a on a corally barnacle encrusted line, which is not that's why I need gloves. It's coming to it's, razor blade my hands apart if I grab onto that line. Is corally a word? Corally is it's a, a name. A, I'm gonna check. I know a corally, but I'm gonna check with Webster corally. right now. <laughs> More attention to gas planning. The highest percentage of triggers in diving accidents for dives under fifty is running out of air. 
It ties with cardiac arrest for divers of all ages. Only a small percentage of these incidents happen because of a sudden loss of air. Faulty gauges are one of are one cause, but the biggest reasons are poor planning and the diver not paying attention to details. Divers need to plan the dive with significant breathing gas available to properly return to the surface. We all train for out-of-air conditions, but they still happen and divers still die. Lack of awareness, right there. Lack of awareness. Now, you can still crappily plan a dive if you're aware of your, your depth, your time, and your gas the entire time. If you're not aware of that, it doesn't matter what you've freaking planned. Absolutely. It goes right out the door because yeah, you, you don't know where you're at. You can plan extremely conservatively. <laughs> like, I've got 3,000 PSI in my tank. I'm going to keep 2,900 for reserve. <laughs> but if you don't, if you don't pay attention, <laughs> you don't pay attention to it until you run out of air, yeah. it, that planning did you no good. So awareness, which is another cornerstone, that's a huge part of that foundation, right? Proper waiting, awareness. Well, yeah, because he mentions, you know, faulty gauges are one cause, right? So, so I mean, I mean, if you've, you're in 100 feet of water, it's been 25 minutes, you look at your gauge. It says 3,000. It still I'm says 3,000. What the hell? Wow, <laughs> I'm, I'm, using, I'm doing really good. I'm using gas okay. at no rate. This is incredible. Maybe it's time to turn your brain on <laughs> and realize something must be wrong with this gauge. Yeah, hey, dumbass. And that's why I like classes where they teach you that, where they say, hey, have, when's the last time you checked your gas? Right. Not, hey, how are you? Why don't you check your gas? Wouldn't that be a nice thing to do? If you promise never to do that again, I'll give you your advance <laughs> card. Exactly. What the hell, man? That is a crucial mistake. That is a, a very critical part of diving. Well, it, it's the main one, right? I mean, I mean this, is, this is it. Like, you are a human being. Underwater, if you don't have gas, you're not going to stay there very long in in the living. Game state. over, right? <laughs> it's, it's game over. I mean, this is, and and it is. It's so widespread the the lack of care of planning by the general education mm-hmm. because it's just hey, don't forget that you, that gauge has to say five hundred when you get when, back when on you that get boat. back on the boat. Oh, it's, okay. So people start from day one looking at the little red area is the only time they need to be concerned with Mm -hmm. the gas. And as long as it's not there, Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Which is why you see people in 100 feet of water with their gauge buried into the below the 500. They go, oh, shit, we got to go. I got to get to the surface before I run out of air. I figure if I don't use any from here on up, we're good. Next is a better ascent rate control. Wait, that's buoyancy control. That's buoyancy control. But yes. You are correct, I right? Know, so ascent rate control control is buoyancy control. Right. That's all I'm saying. I mean, you, you got to lump that in with buoyancy control. They didn't, though. This I is, know this they did. This is, creates one more of the 10. <laughs> that's why these 10. This is number four. Five. Uh, Brandon wanted commandments. these nine. Okay, so we'll, at the end, we can see how many commandments it should <laughs> be. We'll yes. turn, it's going to be three. <laughs> that's proper waiting. It. It's going to be proper waiting, proper buoyancy control, and awareness, and, situation. And greater awareness. attention. Yes. Yeah, yeah. DCI is one of the greatest concerns associated with fast ascents. The current standard is 30 feet per minute. Still, many divers were certified when the standard was 60 feet per minute. And they still use that. 
Then there are those that believe in a combination when diving deep. They use a rate of 60 feet per minute at deeper depths and only 30 feet per minute for the last 60 feet. There have only been limited studies that show which rate is the best. All dives are decompression dives, he mentions. My rate is the best. (laughs) But I, I should also throw in, there's one other section of divers. Go slower than your smallest bubble. Always stay below your smallest bubble. And you're fine because that signifies the bubble in, inside your body. Did you ever hear that one? Oh, yeah, all the time. That's a, that's. Remember, like, uh, back in the 80s, they used to have, remember the, uh, um, the ascent bubbles? Yes. The little plastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what you would do, for, the, for those who don't know this, it was a little plastic back in the container 80s. that you pulled out of your BCD pocket mm-hmm. and you'd pop these little ping pong balls out <laughs> that would start floating up to the surface. And you were just you, your goal was just to chase the ping pong ball up to the surface. And they had two different ones. They had saltwater balls and they had uh, freshwater balls. <laughs> I don't know which if you one. Got salty, I'm not a fan of uh, balls. But. Salty balls? <laughs> Fresh balls or salty balls? Everybody, this is, this is Johnson's Reef. Pull out <laughs> your salty balls. <laughs> But, sir, all I brought are my fresh balls. Only salty balls are allowed on this reef dive. This is uh... Many divers feel that the dive is ending when they head to the surface. That is not necessarily true. A slow ascent can allow you to see things you might not see at a faster ascent. Take your time and look around. So what the article, what this guy's writing in this is, is kind of looking at it from the, the diver's perspective of, hey, just enjoy the end of the dive as well. There's still a lot to do. There's still a lot to see. Have some fun. But the underlying principle that we've been talking about from day one is the ability to control your ascent by controlling your buoyancy through that whole entire ascent. And you see a lot of divers, they, they want to make that ascent up. And the first thing they do is they grab that inflator, they get mm-hmm. vertical, they dump all the gas out of their BCD, and they're kicking and they're swimming to get up to the surface and working or, the whole way and generally yeah. greatly increasing their consumption rate of gas at the time where it's most and critical. And build up. Yeah, the, but they're sort of chucking through the gas at yeah. the time they're supposed to be conservative yeah. the most because they're already yeah. down in the red needle zone. Or, Jamesy, the other thing they believe is uh that button is like the elevator button going up next stop up. next stop Wait. surface <laughs> no, no. Next but stop, a lot of emergency them were, room. a lot of them were like uh elevator going up penthouse suite yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know when i would teach open water students you try to explain that there's a delay in buoyancy effect right there's a delay in the effect so you put a little gas in your bcd to to stop your descent it's not like abrupt so you would see this on the new divers they're they're descending too fast so they start hitting their bcd and i try to teach them just go just hit it like that do not lay on your bcd inflator especially in cold water yeah so or and they end up stopping themselves fortunately sometimes they don't they just plummet plummet into the mud poof and they are surrounded by this plume, and you sit back and watch, and then all of a sudden they rise out of the mud and start flying to the surface. Now I would see this at, over at Gilboa down at the deep end, oh, so yeah, it'd be like a race to the bottom, and I'd watch, just flying down, and then they nail it in thirty-nine degree water. <laughs> Poof! The plume comes up and surrounds them. You're like, where'd they go? You might see a fin sticking out of that plume. All of a sudden. 
They start rising up. They're flying right back up. And, uh, and then they're, then they're hammering the head. dump button. Yes. Whoa. Sinking back. Poof. Up. Another plume. And, and they just do this and over case and over. In case you're pointing, there's a perfect example of using your BCD for buoyancy control rather than breathing. being properly weighted and breathing for buoyancy control. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay, number five was an increased use of checklists. And I know you, Mr. Military Man, are going to love this one. Well, I, I do like checklists. I do have to admit I'm not guilty of using it uh, on certain dives, on certain dives I am, a lot of times my checklist is, is at home before I'm going and before I'm getting on the boat, I'm using my checklist. But checklists help. I know the military has proven that, and that's why they, they insist on checklists and they make you fill them yeah, out. Yeah, and they mentioned in this article or, or in the actual Dan Annual Report that it's one of the things that, that they are focusing on with these studies is to come out with this ultimate, the ultimate diver checklist of of creating the uninjurable diver kind of thing. The invincible diver. Invincible diver. Um, He is invincible. Okay. The proper use of checklist and dive buddy checks can catch many potential problems before they become one. A checklist makes sure we do not forget to do something to prepare for the dive. Sure, getting ready for a dive does become second nature to us. It does not mean we will miss a step. Pilots always do a pre-flight check before they take off. Our position 100 feet underwater is not safer than a pilot 100 feet above the surface. Improvements in scuba diving checklist usage will help lessen stupid errors. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of incidents, i.e., not having your gas turned on, you jump in, you're overweighted. I'm reminded of this uh, incident in Catalina. Guy was on a, an inflatable, and he was sitting on the edge. Single tank, but he was overweighted. It was steel tank. And overweighted already. How do we know he's overweighted? It was on his body when they recovered it. But a boat came by, and the wake from the boat caused him to fall off the edge of the inflatable. And he plummeted. Because he didn't have his tank didn't valve have his on. tank valve on. And he couldn't reach back and turn it on himself. And so a couple of things are working there, right? A, you're overweighted. B, you ha- you're lacking the skill to turn your, your own tank on while it's on your back, which isn't the easiest thing unless you practiced it or done it and, or and, been aware and, of yeah, it. Yeah, you've right? been aware you're of it. You're not taught that in most open water classes. Most most aren't, you know. Um, but having your equipment positioned in a way that you can, you can reach you it, can yeah. reach it and, and deal with it. It should be part of, I mean, most people just throw their tank on their back cause that's where it goes, mm-hmm. you know, and they, I don't like it hitting me in the head, you know, so I lower it as low I, as I can go. Well, there's a balance between being able to personally manipulate and control mm-hmm. everything behind you and having a, a place for comfort as well. But yeah, that that's a kind of a checklist item as well. So I didn't have that gas on. Yeah, not a good one. Not a good one at all. So the the other side of that is like we will go ice diving. You don't turn your gas on until just before you're going to get in the water because of the potential free flow issues. So there are different checklists for different environments, ex- excursions, dive types, et cetera. Where do you say in the holy grail of checklists isn't begin with review and friend? <laughs> I, there's some other ones besides begin with review and a friend, isn't there? There are. There are. There's, but... but the the point is yes, you I, you need like, you need to have something acronyms help yeah ac- no acronyms yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. help it's another military thing is acronyms it's an acronym for everything in the service we're gonna put together an acronym TGTP it's gonna be the holy grail of scuba acronyms tanks 
Gas. <laughs> Tanks and gas. Tanks, gas, defog. <laughs> defog. <laughs> and pee. Did you pee? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Fewer equalizing injuries. Decompression sickness was the most commonly reported concern through the emergency line. However, including the information line and email records, more barotrauma-related complaints were identified, mostly pertaining to ear barotrauma. The most common form of ear barotrauma was middle ear barotrauma. These injuries are caused when the inner ear is not equalized properly. There were also some injuries to the eyes due to mask equalization. Now, I'm going to also put this one back up in the buoyancy control department because I don't think people are injuring their ears with middle ear barrel trauma due to a difficulty in being able to equalize their ears as much as it's an out of control descent where they're probably overweighted, definitely not neutrally buoyant and don't have the ability to stop to deal with the the ear. And the same thing with the mask. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how overweighted, out of control, uncomfortable and inexperienced are you are you to have your eyeballs sucked out of your head <laughs> and all the blood vessels pop and popping, explode yeah. because you're overwhelmed with just making that descent. So the the issue there also goes back to a buoyancy control issue and being out of control. Yeah, I would agree a hundred percent. As with most of this, they're all intertwined to proper weighting and proper buoyancy control, which is, you know, intertwined with proper weighting and, and an awareness, right? You've got to have aware, situational awareness. In other words, your brain has to be switched on and diving, not at home with, you know, did I leave the stove on or whatever is on your mind. You know, you can't be underwater with, with dual minds. No, you've you got to be, gotta be in, yeah, in the game. I mean, you need to be in the mode. In diving mode. When, when it's dive time, flip the switch and you go into dive mode. Yes. And if you can't do that, I mean, you probably shouldn't be diving. Yeah. You know, there's I mean, nothing you, worth dying for. I mean, I mean look at you Just and I. I mean, I mean we're, we're pretty fun, silly, goofy, you know, cracking jokes, having a great old time. But when either of us hit the water, it's... You're underwater. It's a, yeah, you're it's game day. The, you're, you're in, you're in the, the dive, moment. right? You're in the dive. You're watching divers. You're watching yourself. You're watching the environment. You know where you're at. You know what depth you're at. You know where your gas is. All of those things are constantly monitored. It's like driving, I, and I do this with the students. You equate it to driving. And remember when you're learning to drive and how difficult it is to be aware of everything, right? Pedestrians, other cars, signs, lights, the car itself, managing the car itself. You don't play with that radio because that's a lot to handle. And the clowns in the back seat or whoever's... Right. I mean, at what. first, turning on the windshield wipers was a, was a job in and of itself, you know, to, to keep the car between the in the lane and flip on the wipers. Right, much less anything else, yeah. Now you can be, like, whacking the kids in the back seat with one hand and got cruise control. Oh, I got an arm on the babe. Miles I don't have kids. I got an arm on the babe. <laughs> Maybe you need some kids uh, in the back seat to really on the, test a your... A hand on the your, stereo... Got my teeth on a wheel. No, you're steering with your knee, aren't you? Steering with the knee. I don't know if that's now a then, good analogy there. <laughs> no, <it's laughs> just said, hey, as you become more comfortable, just throw safety out the window. <laughs> Next one is uh, uh, certainly a biggie. Improved cardiovascular health in divers. And if we go through some of the uh, the incidents next week, like we'd planned, 
um, you're going to see a lot of this where all things being equal, this guy would be alive today if it, mm-hmm. if it wasn't this, you know, medical issue. So uh, while divers are stereotyped as being fit and adventurous, poor cardiovascular health is the primary health concern for divers. Cardiac arrest was the leading trigger for diving fatalities. 84% of males and 69% of females who died due to a cardiac event were 40 years or older. 53% of male and 54% of female victims were 50 years old or more. Yeah, yeah. You, I know I'm aware. Much more and, than I was when And I was now younger. that I'm in yeah. my 40s, I mean, I, it, I'm, I'm aware too. Like, yeah. All right, you know, it's... It's time to go to the gym, baby. Yeah, it's, it's not... It's no longer a time where you just don't think about it. You know, now you're in that category. So you're hitting that age. Get those things taken care of. Yeah, you'll feel better. I mean, I get that it's not fun to go to the gym or to try to manage to put that time into your life. But if you're going to partake in diving, if you're going to engage in, a, in an activity that obviously has been shown that cardiovascular health is important with regard to safety plus your life's your life will be better your life will be better in in general exactly and not not to mention just dealing with issues underwater just general engaging in normal life you know walking whatever will will improve for you so and you'll feel better and your clothes fit better and everything i mean all this stuff works while drowning was listed in the majority of cases as a cause of death cardiac arrest was involved in many of those, right? So and this is what I was saying is, is what you're going to see in the end is, yes, it's a fatality, cause of death, drowning. But the reason that he drowned was he was, he was overweight, he was overweighted, had poor body mechanics, was working his ass off underwater, CO2 built up a build huge up. level yeah. of CO2, and had a cardiac arrest. Obesity may also be a factor in scuba diving deaths. According to the report, over 50% of the divers who died in the United States were obese. This compares to a rate of obesity of 35% in the general public. Only 35%? I thought it was way more than that. Scuba diving is not always seen as an intense form of exercise. Unlike running or skiing where people prepare themselves for the activity, divers often do not have an exercise program to keep them diving fit. Get yourself fit for diving. And for your life. And I think the reason, like, so, yeah, like jogging a marathon, right, has a, a, a ton of physical, physical mm-hmm. exertion. And so you would think, boy, that level of physical exertion, you know, you would put yourself at risk of cardiac events as well. But the people that are engaged in an activity like that are regularly practicing mm-hmm. a physical fitness of cardiac control that when they do the event, it's a normal day. Whereas so many divers... Sit behind a desk, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, no physical activity, and then they take a dive trip, and it's bam, 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 I'm going to do five dives a day because I'm on this little board. I don't want to miss the drift dive. I don't want to miss the the dive in the current, fighting the swells, uh, doing all the the work, throwing on all the gear. Yeah, the other side of this is the physiological effects of pressure and depth and the partial pressure of the gases you're breathing and their effects on the tissues and how the gas is absorbed and metabolized, as well as all the other metabolic factors that change when you go underwater. The people studying medical, physiological diving issues, they'll readily tell you they don't know all the things that are going on. They don't know all of the effects. They don't know why cardiac arrest is so prevalent in diving injuries. They just don't know, and that it has to do with 
pressure, uh, the barometric effects on the physiology of a human being and how it metabolizes gas and, and other metabolic ingredients. So they don't know everything. So you're going to have issues. And the only thing you do by being obese and out of shape is increase the risk and something going wrong. Yeah. And the, the, and the clear numbers show that as you break that 40 years of age mark, you better, oh, you better yeah. kick it up a notch. Yeah. And as you break the 50 year old mark, better boy, you better kick notches. it up even better. And if you're going to, when you're 90, you're gonna, you better be fucking running <laughs> a goddamn. Well, it, clearly, marathon. and the numbers show it, right? You go into the 60s, you know, as we'll, we'll see when we break this down next yeah. week, the, the older you get, that physical fitness needs to get better and better and better. Cardiac wise for men, men have a higher risk of heart cardiac problems. That is the major killer in men. Number eight is diving more often or pre trip refresher training. Diving is a set of skills and abilities that you must be fresh at to be your best. Divers who have taken a break from diving may need help getting back their skills. Refresher training is good to help assist with that. However, refresher training will not bring back, bring you back to your optimum best by itself. You will need to continue to work at it to get back where you were. The simple solution is to be a more active diver. It helps now, in so many ways. So, you know, most yeah. of the agencies recommend that if you go six months without diving, you should go through a refresher. And then everybody looks at it and goes, I know how to clear my mask. Eh, I, I know it. where my uh, Air McDoodle is hanging. I'm, I'll be fine. I, I know how to do it. I got my share. snorkel. I got two snorkels. What can go wrong? Right. I got a backup snorkel for my snorkel. But it's it's more than just, you know, having an instructor say that you still know how to clear your mask. Oh, yeah. It, it's refreshing, hence the term refresher, but it's refreshing your familiarization with where, again, where everything's at, how it works, how it feels when you're using it. And, of course, the things you have to be aware of, your depth, your gas, your your environment, where you're diving at, things like that. Yeah, getting your brain multitasking in that three-dimensional world out of out of land mode, out of human human office mode, back into this three-dimensional world Yeah, and reacclimating to that environment. I think it also increases just your comfort, your general comfort, which will help in all that awareness stuff. Number nine is a greater attention to diving within limits. Dive within your limits is taught from day one. Still, it is a factor in many deaths. Certain disciplines, such as cave diving, need special training. You will find reports of novice divers diving beyond 100 feet and experiencing nitrogen narcosis. There is nothing wrong with expanding your limits, but improvements in scuba skills should be done gradually and in those cases where training is needed after you get the training. Oh, yeah. Can't stress this one enough. Uh, Like I'll take a a year break from cave diving or whatever. I'm not going to go jump in and do my regular cave diving, even though I've been diving outside of cave diving. In my general practice, in my history, what I'll do is go in and do a little short excursion, do a sixth or an eighth or whatever, and well, run okay. in, run out, run in, run out, do three or four of those just to get reacquainted. Yeah, because you get a lot of divers that, you know, you know, Great Lakes shipwreck divers, you know, that cold water environment, mm-hmm. they're, they're doing that, you know, year after year after year. And as the depth increases, that often sets the new bar, bar for... Yes. Well, I hit the 200-foot mark, so I'm only going to do the 200-foot dives and, and greater. Yeah. Even though you know, I had, had sold, you know, shoulder surgery last year, so I didn't get in the water right. last year, but now we're getting back into it, jumping right back into yeah. 200 feet of water. As I've aged, as I've gotten mm-hmm. in less shape, this is where you see these, these issues right. occur. Things change. 
The last one is fewer equipment issues and uh, slash improved maintenance. While improvements in scuba diving equipment has made them more reliable over the years, equipment problems can become a trigger that leads to an accident. A poorly maintained regulator might work on a shallow dive, but be unable to supply enough airflow at depths. An improperly cleaned BCD might have a valve that does not seal properly. Properly maintained equipment will last a long time. Poorly maintain it, and it might fail within a year. There's just no, there's no telling is the issue, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of divers stretch out that service program, you know, because yeah. they don't want to pay the, the hundred bucks mm-hmm. or whatever to get to get the gear service. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of people that do, you know, uh, that are well into diving that have multiple regulators. I mean, they could have. Two, three, five hundred dollars in service on a, if they're doing things a on a yearly basis. It's, yeah. it's definitely a chunk of change, but when you consider you know what you're dealing with and what you're working with at depth, especially as you increase the the intensity of the dive mm-hmm. and the and how far away the surface gets, right? You know whether through depth, decompression, yeah. time, whatever. You know Virtual where you where, or you, where real you yeah where you can't just go. Up, oh, this is leaking. Come to the surface. You know, you need to have that stuff working. Plus, the the ease of mind it conveys or it gives you it gives yeah, you and, a, and the, a little piece. And then on the mind. other end of that too, let me say that the, the less comfortable and experienced you are, because you you only dive one week every year or two, mm-hmm. even more so because you don't have that experience to draw from to deal with, with something going wrong a little bit. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I've seen people like freak out on dives because their BCD starts leaking and, and, and blowing gas and turning into like a huge freak out of got to get up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality it's disconnect the low pressure hose right. would stop it and you mm-hmm. could conceivably finish the dive and okay. Okay. So I had the leak to deal with, but in reality all it is is the little nipple came loosened mm-hmm. up from taking it on off and it's just, the O-ring's sticking out a little bit, but it's that inexperience that causes someone to build the anxiety, mm-hmm. fear the worst, and just want to get to the surface. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, getting to the surface fast for a scuba diver—it's not good. Not good. All right. Well, hey, is that our ten? Ten? Not 10? bad, Charles Davis. The, Charles Davis. <laughs> not, not bad, Charles Davis. The what'd you give him? The third. The third. Yeah, not bad, Charles Davis. That was a, that was a good article. Um, so yes. again, I mean, you can uh, you guys can look this up if you want. Um, it's uh, deeperblue.com. It's a nice little uh, internet magazine. Yeah, they got a bunch of cool stuff in there. You know, if you're a dive nerd like us, you know, there's a bunch of cool little articles that you can uh, look at and research and check out. Um, the Dan Annual Report, which is really what what this was from, you know, goes into full detail. And we're gonna next week we're gonna dig into a couple of these different incidents that occurred and kind of uh, break down a couple of these, I, you know, a couple of these stories and uh, give you guys a feel for what the annual report incidents look like and, and how they map them out and what we can learn from them and uh, hopefully walk away with uh, some really good information to make us all more comfortable underwater, make us all better divers, better dive buddies, better teammates in the water, better customers for, dive boats throughout the world so that this community grows in a nice big happy hole big happy hole hole with a double oh, hole. hole the whole community grows hole. in a nice in a good way 
happy, good way. In a positive way. In a positive way. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, what James said. Listen, on that note, um, we're running late. We're running late. It's time to get. Uh, I, we got to get out, out of here. GTFO. Uh, thanks to uh, the uh, a couple of the recent reviews on iTunes and on Facebook. Appreciate you guys doing that. If you haven't done so already, please take a minute and uh, give us a little. Give if us we a little... don't get a damn review, we're not putting out another episode. That's all there is to it. You've been warned. <laughs> Come on, people. Sheet metal workers. Once again, you know thank, who we are. thank you to the Patreon supporters as we hit another month here. We get another couple bucks in our little bank account to hopefully do some more stuff. We got some big plans for 2018, a couple big uh, episodes coming up. And we will see you guys next week. We won't see you. We will, we will be talking to you guys next week, and you will hear us. I can see. Wait, wait. Until then. Wait. Okay. Wait. Wait. Give me your, I got to sign this logbook before God we go. God damn it. We got to. Put, put your logbook out before okay. you. There. All right. Sign let me, it. Let me do. Thank you. And get well soon. Love, Sammy. Great dive. See ya. Ciao. Safe dives. Winner of nothing. <laughs> 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 <laughs>